0: You guys can grab a seat. We are coming towards the end of our current sermon series. Uh, It's a sermon series all about character formation. We've invited you. we've, We've invited you each week to take seriously, in some degree, the question, where is it that God might be prompting you? to go through a season of character formation. Is there some part of who you are, some part of your internal life where you think God might be inviting you to grow and change into more of who God has made you to be? The sermon series is called That'll Leave a Mark because the Greek word character literally means to leave a mark or an impression or make an engraving, and we want God's character to make a mark on our lives so that our lives make a godly mark on the lives of others, on all the people that we interact with throughout our days. And today we're going to be talking about um, what I'm going to say later is kind of a keystone character trait. We're going to be talking about forming perseverance in a pain-filled world. We're going to be talking about the way that perseverance, as we become people who God forms into you know, people with the ability to persevere. Perseverance is a character trait that actually supports any other character formation that you might have going on in your life. Like always, um, we're going to talk about this not just uh, in a general or vague sense, but we're going to talk about it looking specifically at some of the words that we read in Scripture, in the Bible. These are, again, words that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the churches that he ministered to uh, for many, many years, Uh, long ago in the ancient Roman Empire. This is Paul's letter to the Romans. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to turn to the book of Romans right now, Romans chapter 5, whether you've got a physical Bible or if you've got uh, an app on your phone with a Bible, I'd encourage you to look at Romans 5 now. Uh, And before I read that, I want to just pray one more time for our time together. God, as we read your word, we read your word because... God, it's to you that we look for truth and for life and for how to live. It's to your word that we look for our own transformation and growth. So God, help your word to be meaningful in our lives today. Amen. And Paul wrote in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's supposed to say Romans 5, 1 through 5, but apparently I wrote Romans five fifteen. Just imagine, you can imagine the little dash in between those numbers. Uh, we've been asking every week three different questions. Here are the questions for this morning. What is perseverance? Why does perseverance matter? And how do I form perseverance. I'm going to try to move a little more quickly through the first two questions this morning and spend most of our time on that third question, how do I form perseverance, and specifically talking about uh, the things that sort of exist in orbit around perseverance, at least as far as Paul talked about it in this little passage. So what is perseverance? Uh, as we've been doing many times, let's talk about a dictionary definition. Perseverance. Perseverance continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. You might say, continued effort to do something even in the midst of the pain-filled world that we often have to live in. We talked about this a number of weeks ago, but the Greek word that most often gets translated to perseverance in English is monē. It literally means to endure or hold out or stand firm, to remain. It calls up the image of the ancient Roman uh, uh, titan Atlas who holds the world on his shoulders. His job was to persevere, to remain under a heavy weight or burden. When we think about the work of character formation, perseverance means we stay with the work God is doing in our lives. We stick with it. We remain in the midst of growth, even when it might be easier to go do something else. I heard a definition of perseverance that uh, uh, goes a little further uh, you know, off this idea. It says, perseverance is, to, uh, perseverance is the ability to stay when it would be easier to go. Or in reverse, it's the ability to go when it would be easier to stay. Are there places in your life right now where you're maybe tempted to leave, where maybe God's doing something, but the thing that God's doing, the person he's trying to grow you into, if you're honest, it's maybe a harder work than you'd like to be doing, and you know that you need to stay in the middle of it, but man, would it feel nice to just sort of wipe your hands and be like, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to go. I'm going to be done with that. Or conversely, is there something going on in your life right now? Maybe there's something in your heart. Maybe there's something toxic in your life. And, and you really need to get out of there. You need to cut it off. You need to be done with it. You need to be put it behind you. But man, it's tempting to just stay because, oh, it'd be a little easier to stay than it would be to go. Perseverance, the ability to remain or stay, to endure in the midst of trial, It's the ability to stay when it'd be easier to go or go when it'd be easier to stay. So why does perseverance matter? Why would it be that we want to grow in perseverance in our lives? And in order to answer this question, I want to talk a little bit about this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome and a little bit about um, not what we found in these few verses, but if you read the whole book of Romans, which you should totally do, it's a little heady, um, but you should totally do. One of the things that you can do that actually really helps set the context is read the last chapter, read ver- or chapter 16 first. Because in chapter 16, we find out um, who Paul is writing to. We find out the person who's carrying this letter and hand-delivering it for Paul. And the person who actually probably didn't just deliver it. It's not like the church in Rome had a mailbox. They just put it in, you know put the flag down or, or up or whatever, would not you do with a flag and then walked off, probably the person who delivered it may also have actually performed it, spoken it to the church. Many of the people in the church were illiterate, and so they wouldn't be able to read Paul's letter. So Paul selected somebody to hand-carry the letter, not just hand-carry it, but probably read it, perform it to the churches, and quite possibly... To also explain its meaning to the churches, to stay for a while and say, oh, well, when Paul said this, what he meant was, and oh, you've got a question, I'd like to give you an answer for that. The person that Paul chose for this task was a woman whose name is Phoebe. And we know a few things about Phoebe. First of all, Phoebe literally means Titaness. And so we know that Phoebe was not A Jewish person, because no self-respecting Jew in the ancient Roman Empire, in the ancient Jewish world, would have named their daughter Titaness. That was not kosher Jewish name for that time. We also find out in Romans 16, again, end of the book, we find out that Phoebe was a benefactor to many people, including to Paul. Benefactor means a person who has used their own personal wealth and influence and resource to benefit other people. And so Phoebe was a Gentile who probably also was a woman with pretty significant personal wealth and finance, which would likely be necessary if she was going to deliver the letter because she would need to have the resources available to do this long journey to carry Paul's letter to Rome. That's an expensive undertaking. She couldn't just hail an Uber and hop over to Rome. This was a long and expensive journey. And so what we know is Phoebe carried, uh, go to the next, yeah, Phoebe carried Paul's letter to Rome and taught, in some way, shape, or form, taught its content to the churches there. And I say churches because Paul, in Romans 16, names a few different individuals who probably were the heads of four, five, six, maybe more small house churches. It's not like all the Christians in Rome had a big, you know, uh, a big regional church on the corner. Rather, there were many different smaller gatherings in homes where they met. And so Phoebe may well have had to deliver it four, five, six different times, explaining it and reading it and teaching it to each of the different churches in turn. We also know that most of the Roman Jesus followers likely lived in poverty. And I say that for a couple reasons. One, to highlight the need for Phoebe to come and teach this letter to people who were more than likely illiterate. But second, to highlight uh, uh, this context, the reason I think it matters for Perseverance is because what we now have is a church, we're reminded, filled with both Jewish and Gentile Jesus followers, and we know, if you were with us when we studied through Acts, we know that Jewish and, Jesus, or Jewish and Gentile Jesus followers often had some conflict around their different cultural identities. So we've got this uh, educated, uh, probably wealthy woman who is teaching this letter to a mixed group of Jewish and Gentile Jesus followers in Rome, and we know that the church is in the midst of Sorting out some of the relational complexity and challenges that happen when we take these people from different cultural backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, and we mix them together, that can get challenging. That can get complicated. And as if it wasn't enough for the church to figure out how to be literally, God says, brothers and sisters, a family together with one another. If it wasn't hard enough for them to figure out how to do that in the midst of all that's going on in their life, there's one last context to the fact that Phoebe's delivering this to the church in Rome. And that is the simple flagrant reminder that this is happening in the ancient Roman Empire. And everybody that lived in the Roman Empire, uh, Roman people were expected to worship the Roman emperor as a god. So the church that Phoebe is delivering this letter to has internal challenges and difficulties that they have to sort out. They have to figure out how to relate to one another in the midst of different backgrounds and different cultural points of view. Does anybody, anybody ever had an experience where you've been maybe in a large part of a large community of people who've had some differences and we've had to figure out how to be a family and be united in the midst of differences? I don't know if Maybe that's just ancient history. It's not relevant to us today. But then on top of it, they have to figure out how to do that while living in a hostile environment where the government doesn't appreciate who they are or what they're doing. And not far from now, the government's going to start killing Jesus' followers for being Jesus' followers in ancient Rome. So I say that all to say, the words that Paul speaks about perseverance, I bet that the Roman Christians felt just how hard that was. I mean, take a second and ask yourself, are there any circumstances in your life, are there relational complexities, are there uh, broader cultural uh, realities that are quite frankly a heavy, a challenging, a hard burden that you're trying to carry and figure out? I'm quite certain that our answers are yes, Carl. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of heavy, challenging, difficult, painful circumstances that I see in the world around me. And we're reminded, when we think about ancient Rome, when we think about all of the great things that we have in our lives, things like uh, advancements in medical technology and advancements in nutrition and health and all of the creature comforts that we get to enjoy. I mean, the mere fact that I can hear the air conditioner blowing in this room right now is a reminder that our understanding of the challenges of life is quite frankly an understanding. In some ways, the challenges that we face, many of them are less than what the ancient Romans faced. The circumstances of the Romans were likely all the more difficult than what we face. Maybe not more complicated. I mean, I think our world is pretty complicated, so maybe the complexity is the same, but the the sheer physical hardship that they had to endure every day was way more than most of us will ever have to endure in our lives. So why do I share this all? Um, Because perseverance matters, because life is challenging and complex. We know that in our lives today. And the reality of Phoebe delivering this letter to the church in Rome reminds us that they knew that then as well. And There's a second answer I want to give to the question of why does perseverance matter? And Paul actually says it right in the middle of the text. He says, perseverance produces character. He leaves out the verb. The verb's implied, but, but you know that the verb's implied, so you know it's still there. It says perseverance produces character. Perseverance matters because I think it's what we might call a keystone character trait. A keystone, as you might know, is if you build an arch or maybe a bridge, the keystone is that top stone, and you fit it in place just right so that the one stone at the top literally holds up every other stone in the bridge. Without that one stone, the whole arch, the whole bridge, the whole structure collapses. Ancient people who built bridges and arches with keystone construction built things that last for thousands of years. If you can get the keystone set right, the arch is going to hold for a long, long time. Or conversely, when you remove the keystone, the whole arch will much more quickly collapse. Perseverance is the character trait that, like a keystone, holds up any and every other character formation going on in our lives. Why does perseverance matter? I think that perseverance matters because if we don't let God form us into people of perseverance, we're much less likely to be able to stay with God in the middle of any transformative work he's trying to do in our lives. Which brings us to question number three, how do we form perseverance? How do we do it? What does it mean? What does it look like? And I want to answer that by looking at three things that Paul talks about that, like I said, sort of exist in orbit around this central idea that perseverance produces character. Paul kind of talks about these things in this list form, and I think he is naming three different practices that we can engage in, all of which that sort of circum, you know, what's the word, circum, I don't know, that live in orbit around perseverance, things that if we can get them, if we can do them in our lives, we're going to see perseverance as the result. Here's the three things Paul says in Romans 5. Perseverance informed when we... Boast in the hope of the glory of God, when we boast also in our suffering, and when we know that God's love resides in us. Perseverance is formed when we boast in the hope we have in God's glory, when we boast also in our suffering, a truly bizarre thing to think about doing, and when we know that God's love resides, it lives inside Of us, I want to talk about each of those three things right now. First of all, um, the hope of the glory of God. I want to talk about the word hope in Greek. It's doxa. Uh, It means honor or radiance or importance. What does it mean to boast in the hope of the glory of God? So, first of all, glory simply means God's goodness, His greatness, His importance. We glory when we recognize, when we speak about, when we talk about, when we point out all the things that are good and great about God. Referring to God's glory means calling to mind all the reasons we have to honor God. Think about it for a second. Just take, take a minute. What are some of the reasons that come to mind that you have for honoring God? Quite frankly, it's an important question to ask because we live in a world that often dishonors or even totally discredits The very idea of God. And so it's good to remind ourselves that when we sing songs like we do on Sunday mornings, when we pray to God, we are praying to a God who is good and just and right. It's good for us to remind ourselves of the good things we believe about who God is. Scripture teaches so many things, like God is a God who will right wrongs. God heals wounds. God restores brokenness. When we refer to the glory of God, we refer to the all-powerful being who does these beautiful and good things in our lives and in the world in which we live. We refer to the God who is good and just and kind and compassionate. This is all, the sum total of all these good things and the many, many more we could talk about, this is all God's glory. And we need to be reminded of that because in our lives far too often, We spend our times thinking about, focusing on, putting our hearts and our minds' attention on the hard and the hopeless and the painful things in the world around us. But Paul says that we should boast in the hope, not of our own ability, not the hope of humanity in general, not the hope of any person or country or power or anything in this world, but we should boast in the hope of God's glory. The more we think about who God is and how good and reliable and trustworthy God is, the more we will find hope. And that hope, when it lives in our hearts, that hope will give us perseverance. Have you ever boasted? Boasted? I mean, boasting, we teach our kids not to boast because we, we have this sense of, like, pride or arrogance. But have you ever boasted in God's glory? To boast in something simply means to take pride in, to be proud of, to point out, to say, man, I love this. I, in a sense, have boasted. You may remember a number of Sundays ago, I had a desk that my grandfather built, and it's in my office right now, and I brought it up on stage. And in a sense, I boasted in the fact that my grandpa built that desk. If you're around me, or if you're around any parent with children, you're going to hear parents boast in their children, because we love our children. Okay, Sometimes, you know, maybe we don't boast in some of the things they do, but we find the things that we have to boast in, and we boast in our children. We, we might take pride in and, and be excited and point out to others all sorts of things in our lives, but have we ever boasted in God's glory? Here's what I would suggest the practice that that means for you and me. The more we think about and talk about the hope of God's glory the more we will develop perseverance. And notice, the critical thing here is I'm not talking about boasting in the activities of this church or of other churches. I'm not talking about boasting in a particular branch of biblical understanding or theology. Those are all good, important things, but what we're talking about is God, who is the source of all that we do as Christians, and we need to keep our focus on the God in whom we boast. But then we get to the second point Paul makes, a point that I just really would rather go away from instead of staying in the text in the middle of, which is Paul continues with the same word boast. In the NIV that we read, it it said glory in our suffering, but it's the same word. They just didn't want to use boast twice. And so Paul says, we boast also in our suffering. doesn't sound like a very good idea, Paul. I mean, I've suffered a few times. I don't think I've ever boasted in my suffering. If we're going to do here what Paul says, which is that we're going to look at suffering, and we're not going to look at suffering only as something unpleasant in our lives, but we're rather going to look at suffering as an opportunity to all the more remember God's glory and boast in God's glory. What Paul is suggesting here is a rather radical perspective shift. My assumption, I don't know about you, but my assumption is that when suffering comes along, my attention and maybe your attention, the thoughts that my heart and mind get stuck on, are entirely focused on the suffering itself. Suffering has a way of rooting our attention, of fixing our eyes, on the thing causing our suffering. I mean, let me ask you for a second, what do you do when you suffer? Maybe maybe a specific idea comes to mind. I know that uh, there are many people in this room who are going through some significant suffering in their lives right now. I would bet many of us, when we're in the midst of suffering, one of the big things we do is we get sucked into. We get our hearts and minds fixed on the suffering. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to work through and process. We need to be honest. We need to name. We need to admit. I'm not saying we should ignore or pretend like the suffering's not there or just ignore it and maybe it'll go away. But what I am saying is Paul's invitation when he says we can boast in our suffering is an invitation to also remember that suffering itself is A it's a space in our lives in which God can and will be at work. And if you're like me, that might feel that that might feel impossible. It might feel like okay, like I I think I get it, Carl. I think I get that God could be at work even in my suffering. But like, man, this particular suffering, like, what what good could possibly come of that? And so, fortunately, Paul gives us a third thing we can do that will help us learn to boast in the hope of God's glory boast also in our suffering. And here's how Paul wraps up the passage. Because these things give us hope. They give us hope because when we're not focusing on the brokenness of the world, but we're focusing on the goodness of God, that gives us hope. And Paul wraps up when he says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame when we boast in God's glory, when we boast in God's suffering, that's going to give us hope. Hope's going to give us perseverance, and this will not put us to shame. It will not disappoint us. It will not prove itself to be false or unreliable. How do we know? We know because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Our heart is like it's like the home, it's like the, it's like the dining room table of our lives. When people gather around the dining room table of your home, it's this connected, relational, intimate place. God has poured his love into our homes, into our hearts, into the depth of who we are. You know, whatever gets inside your house has an impact, an influence on who you are and how you live. I have two memories from when I was a kid. One, I remember this week of my life where my mom and I, I think my brother and sister had moved off to college, my mom and I had noticed a little stench in one of the rooms of our house. We searched around and we couldn't figure it out. And I don't know if we called pest control or if we what, but we have finally determined that we're pretty sure some mice had built a nest And subsequently died in the wall inside the wall of one of the rooms of our house and whoever we were talking to about this said well we've got two choices you can rip out this whole section of the wall and clean it all out and then replace it and fix it all up or you can just leave it there and eventually it'll kind of go away And, uh, you know, I'll just put the caveat in here. My mom's probably watching, so I don't know if it's true, if this is true or not. But this is what my memory tells me happened. Whether or not this is what actually happened, I don't know. But this is what my memory tells me happened. My memory is that we just left it. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, it went away, and it was fine. There was a stench in the house, and we said, "Ah, I'm just going to leave it there. It'll go away. And in this case, it did. I have another memory involving rodents. Same house, and I was in the living room, and there's a fireplace in the living room, and for a couple days, we heard this sound. And it sounded like it was coming from the fireplace. So one day, I was like, all right, and I open up the fireplace, and I reach in, and I grab the flue lever, and I open the flue up, and three tiny baby raccoons drop into the fireplace. You went, aw? Did you guys just say, Aw. These things are violent. (laughs) And, you know, I put on some gloves. We pick up the raccoons. We carry them out. There's like a little marshland area for us next to the house. We put them out, and I'm like, good luck. (laughs) But then we come back in, and the sound hasn't gone away. And so we do the math, and we're like, well, if there's baby raccoons... There's probably got to be a mama raccoon somewhere. So I sort of like shake the flu a little bit, and I was like, maybe it'll go. I close the gate on the front of the fireplace and tape it shut because we don't want that thing getting in the house. A <laughs> couple days later, though, we still know the mama's in there. I don't know if she thinks the babies are coming back or what's going on. She can't get through the flu, so we're like, all right, we got to get this thing out of our chimney. So, so our brilliant plan was I climb up on the roof, and I get a bucket of water and I dump it down the chimney. I'm a ninth grader. This is going to be fine, people. This is just totally fine. Everything's fine here. And I'm listening. And I'm like, I think I, I, think I hear it. And suddenly, this giant mama raccoon climbs up on the chimney, and I'm, you know, ah! but then I can't fall, but I fall, and I'm on the roof, and the mama leaps and lands on the roof and runs down, and I kid you not, jumps and lands on a tree branch and runs down and runs away. Uh, Carl, what in the world does this have to do with perseverance? I'm glad you asked. When something lives in your home, you can feel its presence, right? You find yourself thinking about it for days on end. Man, I got this thing in my home. What am I going to do about it? Am I just going to ignore it, pretend it's not there, hope it goes away? Am I going to to do something about it? When something lives in your home, whether it's a family member, you know, man, when your kids grow up and move away, I'm told, mine haven't done this yet, when they leave, their absence is significant. When you have a new kid and that kid is born and you bring it home and suddenly a new human person lives in your home... When you've got rodents in the chimney, when something lives in your home, it changes you. It changes how you think and how you act and how you feel and how you spend your time. God says that he has poured his love into our hearts. The Holy Spirit, God's presence here with us every day, that is inside of us. It's in our homes. And that is what makes the difference, giving us the ability to persevere. How do you persevere? How do we form perseverance? We do it by focusing on hope, the hope that comes from God, not on the hopelessness of the world. We do it by changing our perspective so that when the pain of this world does come up, We don't let the pain be the only thing, but we let it be a place in which the goodness of God can be at work. And we do it by dwelling on God's love, which is inside of us. Another way you could say it is perseverance comes when our minds and our lives, our hearts are consumed not by the challenges that we feel, but by God's glory. Consumed not by the suffering we experience, but by the hope we have from God. Consumed not by the pain-filled world we live in, but the love of God which lives inside of us. Let me ask you, what are you filling your life with? with? What are the things you're bringing into your home? What are the things you're pouring into your heart and into your mind? And if you're honest with yourself, are they the sorts of things that God wants your life to be filled with? Or are we letting ourselves all too often be filled with the pollution of this world instead of the good and pure hope that comes from God's love? Which brings us as always to your move. If perseverance is the keystone character trait, the one that is critical for all character formation in our lives, and if, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe you're going to yourself, Carl, I got perseverance dialed in, like I just got it. Maybe that's you, and if so, well done. But for the rest of us, if we want to acknowledge that maybe perseverance is something we need some more of in our lives, then we have to figure out what we're going to do. So a couple thoughts. One, start small. Think about about some of the small challenges that you're facing in life. Don't, Don't jump to the giant like overwhelming. Think about some of the small challenges that you're facing in your life. Find times where you can practice staying a little longer even when you want to go, right? Maybe there's a challenging decision you're making in your home. Maybe there's a difficult relationship with a coworker at work maybe there's uh, some internal work that you're doing you've got some hurtful things in your heart and you know you need to work through them but every time it comes up you find yourself going oh, I said hello that's good I'm out of here you know yeah I spent two minutes journaling I spent 30 seconds journaling that's good I'm out of here find times where you can practice staying in the middle of something difficult caveat, not in the middle of something abusive or truly, like, damaging. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the, the challenge. Find times to practice staying a little longer in the midst of difficulty instead of doing what would be easier and just running away. Second, straight from Paul's words, learn to boast in suffering. I'll be honest, I still don't know exactly what this means, I said, like, but what what would happen to the suffering in your life? Think about, whenever you're talking about suffering, think about the words that come out of your mouth and ask yourself, if the hope of God's glory was in my heart and in my mind, how would that change the words I say about my suffering? And when you figure it out, let me know, and I'll give an update to the church later, and we can learn together. But somehow we need to learn to boast in our suffering. Speaking of perspective shift, I want to mention right now two events that are coming up uh, the next couple Sundays, and I want to just mention them now and put them on your radar because I think both are awesome events, but also uh, I I want you to, um, I I think they connect to perseverance. The two events are next Sunday, um, the Matthew 25 Challenge, and the Sunday after that, it's uh, an event called Chosen. And if you want to grow in perseverance, I'm going to challenge you to take the Matthew 25 challenge and to sign up to be chosen. What what does that mean, Carl? Uh, The Matthew 25 challenge is uh, something put on by World Vision, an organization we partner with, an organization that um, organizes child sponsorship in order to fund holistic community development in some of the most impoverished places in the world. And our church, the Evangelical Covenant Church, has a long-standing partnership with World Vision so that World Vision kind of powers the child sponsorship for all the work we do in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The Covenant's been working there for over 50 years. World Vision does what's called the Matthew 25 Challenge, and if you sign up for the Matthew 25 Challenge, what you sign up is to get a text message every single day, and that text message will invite you to do something that day that many of the most impoverished people in the world do every day. Things like skip a meal and then eat only rice for dinner. Things like only drink water for a whole day instead of drinking water and coffee and soda and whatever else that you drink. For the- Things like wearing the same set of clothes two days in a row. I think taking the Matthew 25 challenge is a way to help perspective shift because it reminds us that whatever suffering we're going through, there are also other people in the world with suffering that sometimes is beyond what we could even comprehend. Next Sunday, we're going to kick off the Matthew 25 challenge. and I'm going to ask everyone, would you consider, whether you're in the room or online, however you're connected with us, would you consider signing up for the Matthew 25 challenge? And then the following Sunday, we're hosting a chosen Sunday, which is an opportunity to sign up to participate in child sponsorship with some kids in Congo. But it's called Chosen Sunday because World Vision has decided to flip the script for how we do child sponsorship. See, how child sponsor, has anybody done child sponsorship with World Vision, maybe even with Covenant Kids Congo, right? So a lot of people know it. The way it traditionally works is we would set up a big display out there and we have all these picture, pictures of kids, right? We say, go out, look at the pictures and choose a kid that you want to sponsor, Here's what we're going to do on Chosen Sunday. We're going to invite you to pull out your cell phone and take a selfie. And we're going to mail your selfie, email it, to the community in the Congo where we're doing work, and we're going to give a chance for a kid to choose you. We're giving the power of choice to the kids instead of the sponsors. If you want, I'd encourage you to look up more on the World Vision website so you know what is coming, but this is what our next two Sundays are going to be. I think when we connect ourselves to the suffering of others, when we put ourselves in proximity to it, even in small ways, that will grow our perseverance. Last story to wrap this up. Um, I was just thinking about how to illustrate the power of perseverance, and I was reading a blog by one of my favorite authors, bloggers, a covenant pastor named Eugene Cho. Um, Here's Eugene's picture. Uh, Go check it out, eugenecho.com. His most recent blog um, post was about a woman whose name, I'm guessing, is familiar, uh, Rosa Parks. Here's a picture of Rosa Parks uh, after she had been arrested uh, for staying seated on a bus. And Cho quoted Rosa a couple, um, you know, quoted a couple things that Rosa Parks had said or written. And I just wanted to read these couple lines to you from Eugene's blog. Uh, this, is, this is Rosa Parks. She said, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically, or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of me as being old then. I was 42. No, The only tired I was, was tired of giving in. Rosa Parks decided to stay when it would have been easier to go. Cho goes on and mentions that one of his favorite things about Rosa Parks was that she was known to have always been carrying around her Bible. And then he quotes her again. She says, I remember finding such comfort and peace while reading the Bible. Its teaching became a way of life and helped me in dealing with my day-to-day problems. From my upbringing and the Bible, I learned people should stand up for rights just as the children of Israel stood up to the Pharaoh. And I think Rosa Parks's life These quotes that Cho is pointing out are a testimony to us of the power of perseverance. And here's how Cho decides to wrap up his whole blog post. He says, as a preacher myself, I love teaching and preaching, but compelling sermons aren't just from pulpits, they're preached around kitchen tables, by bedsides, on the streets, in company boardrooms, in your neighborhoods, and even on a bus. And then he writes this last line. Preach, Rosa. Preach, sister. Preach. I think if we're people who let God shape us, give us the strength through his love that we need to stay when it would be easier to go or go when it would be easier to stay, to remain underneath the challenging difficulties so that God's work can be done in us, then we know all of our lives will be sermons preached in a world that so desperately needs the good news, the hope that we find in God's glory. Would you pray with me? And worship team, you guys can come back on up. God, we acknowledge that sometimes the pain and suffering is more than we're able to handle, but we believe that, God, with your presence in us, we can find the strength that we need God, as, as your Apostle Paul said, would you pour your love into our hearts? Would we dwell on, think about your presence with us? Would we set our hearts and minds not focused on the pain of this world, but rather on the hope that we find in your glory so that whatever it is that we're suffering in the midst of right now, we might find perseverance because we know, God, that perseverance produces character. Character. May it be so in our lives, we pray. Amen.